0: Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a podcast all about pod people. Join us as we dedicate Boys and Ghouls, episode 50, to that terrifying sci-fi classic, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Listen in as we explore its 1950s paranoia and the dread of conformity through the theft of what makes us human. Then stay tuned for a discussion of its three remakes. The Invasion, and Body Snatchers, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead.
1: Building heads. Psychos, fanatics, oh. murderers, nutcases. Now do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires?
0: I know that one of you is a werewolf.
1: Ain't nothing but dead people. I want to kill the undead. You Psychos ever talk to a bird. corpse? Satan is our pal. It's
0: boring. Oh, the right. The third switch. In my creation. To you. Yeah. Well, it's, to fun, get it's magical, in and magical
1: unless you're running from someone, like in a horror movie, and then you've got all the business to do to get it to close.
0: Granted. granted. You know,
1: it takes you longer.
0: There was there was a password. And I was like, Great, I'm almost never anywhere that needs a password. Uh, but they didn't really I was like, So do you want the password? They're like, Oh yeah, the password. I was like, Michael Landon. And they're like, okay, come in. And I really got the feeling that if I didn't have the password, I could go in anyways. And that was a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, spooky Gab. Yeah. I assumed that we both had the same Spooky Gab. Or do you have anything outside of?
1: Um, This is kind of fun. It was really fun, actually. Okay. I met up with a Boys and Ghouls friend and listener, IRL, as the kids say.
0: In real laughter. <laughs> Yeah. In real life? Uh,
1: yeah, Britt McGinnis. You and I both have communicated with her over the last couple of years, I think it's been.
0: And she works for the Ween Dreams charity. Mm hmm. Is that how you found out about it through her
1: no 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 I already we you and I had already talked about them on air and donated a costume
0: you had yes I
1: had yeah, and then the following year she contacted us we'd already been in touch with her about like episodes and just chatting about the show and she was like, hey, they've brought me on to do some you know outreach for them
0: we in and dreams people guys? we in dream check yeah. it out it's a good cause uh puts Halloween costumes. Into the hands of kids who might not otherwise get Halloween costumes this year.
1: And we've mentioned them uh, on the podcast before, and they're great. And she reached out to us and asked us to mention them on the podcast. And I was like, hey, we did that last year because we love them, and we're happy to do it again. Anyway, she was in Los Angeles for a wedding... And we got together and went to all my... I took her on a whirlwind trip of a lot of my favorite places. We went to Halloween Town. We went to Creature Features. We got yummy cupcakes. And then we went over to Forest Lawn Cemetery Glendale, which you and I have been to together, Marshall. And we didn't have a ton of time. And as you know, that place is just gigantic. I mean, I'm pretty sure... It's really big. There are over 100,000 dead people buried there. And so I told her... Only
0: 10 live ones. So that ain't bad.
1: As of as of this recording, <laughs> and so I told her I was like, okay, here's a list of people. Let's pick someone. I'm gonna start rattling off. Pick someone you want to go visit. We'll do that. And so I, we got to L. Frank Baum, the writer of The Wizard of Oz and several other tales. And she was like, let's go see L. Frank Baum. And I was like, sure.
0: I had no idea he was buried in Los Angeles.
1: He is, yeah. And we found him, and then we had to part ways. And it was a lot of fun. It was fun. We talked about spooky stuff and saw spooky stuff. And then she went to her wedding, and now she's back in Oregon.
0: All right. And that makes the first time that you've gotten together with a listener.
1: Well, except for Neil.
0: Neil McLaughlin, who contacted us to be in his movie, I Was a Teenage (laughs) Were-Skunk, which just premiered last week at the Vista Theater. Yeah, I was jazzed to be at the Vista Theater, if only because that's the movie theater in True Romance, <laughs> where Clarence goes to watch his Sonny Chiba films and he meets Alabama and it goes from there.
1: And then you and I got to go see a movie we were in.
0: Yeah, there. that was a real treat for, for me and yeah. you, I yeah. assume.
1: I've been a part of projects that, you know, I saw later and I was like, oh, Jesus, I hope this never sees the light of day. <laughs> Even though you still learn something, you just have no control over how what the finished product is going to be like. Judging from the scenes that you and I shot, I had it on good authority. It was going to be a lot of fun and funny because our scenes were funny. But, you you know, it came together so incredibly well. It's so funny
0: and he f- he filled the theater with people oh, yeah. there to support him and-, and
1: everyone was so like i mean it got so many laughs and it it looked good, and it was really on tone for what he was trying to do as far as be satirical and also kind of accurate to those silly i was a teenage creature films i mean it was just it was just like what an experience I've never seen myself on the big screen like that, let alone just part of something I'm super proud to be a part of so
0: And as it becomes available for the public, I'm sure we'll mention it. But what was just great for us is that we weren't just there as Marshall and Kat. We were there as the boys and ghouls podcasters because that's how we were discovered. Mm -hmm. Neil was listening to our podcast while doing some rewrites. And when he decided he could use a guy and a gal for this movie within a movie during the, I guess, the post-production process, he thought of this. Our voices were in his head. So, hey, anybody else out there making a, uh, <laughs> a horror or horror comedy in the L.A. area likes the timbre of this voice? Drop us a line.
1: You were very good, Marshall. Thank you. You were very good. You had all the heavy dialogue. You had the funny sci-fi words, and you killed it. You were very funny. It was very good. And you got to slap me, and that got a big laugh.
0: You got to be wonderful. Tell me I was being hysterical. Hysterics, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a good time. I'm so proud of it and so happy we got to do that.
0: They come from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet, bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super scope screen. It's whatever intelligence or instinct it is it can govern the forming of human flesh and blood out of thin air well, it's fantastically powerful, beyond any comprehension. A cursed, dreadful, malevolent thing was happening to those he loved. From city to city, an incredible, hysterical panic spread. As the unimaginable becomes real, the impossible becomes true. Stop
1: and listen. Stop and listen to me. Listen. Listen. Listen to me. are not human. <laughs>
0: Hey Kat. Hey Marshall. The topic of this fiftieth podcast.
1: Holy moly!
0: I do want to mention whose idea this was, or just just say Jorge. I
1: think we know. Oh, oh, this. Oh yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I thought you meant Let's like talk the about podcast. Me for a podcast. I was like, Marshall, we all know it was your idea for the podcast. <laughs> um, well, this episode is actually was a listener suggestion, and it was Jorge Garcia who was on Lost. And has been acting for years and years and just happens to also (laughs) listen to Boys and Girls, which was really fun to learn. But he had the idea for this episode, and I have to say it's probably going to land in like my top five favorite topics we've ever covered.
0: You are super excited about this.
1: I didn't anticipate that before we started. I was just like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'd seen the original film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
0: I knew you liked it, and I'm certainly fond of it. Uh And I was like, yeah, that'll, that'll do.
1: Yeah. That's that's a good episode. Yeah, I felt that way too. And then
0: you just fell in love.
1: I am am obsessed. (laughs) I'm completely lost in this right now. All right. I've read a book and watched four movies and a cartoon. I am glutted with body snatchers right now, and I'm ready to talk about it.
0: All right. Listen to me. Please listen. If you don't, if you won't... If you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will
1: strike in you!
0: So, it all started not even as a book, but as a three-parter in Collier's magazine. I'm sure they have all sorts of stories in it. They have lots of fiction. It seems to be something they do. Sure. This is a science fiction story. It was written in 1955.
1: The serialized versions came out in the magazine in 54, then it was novelized in 55.
0: But... He said it in nineteen seventy-six.
1: It is the weirdest there is nothing and about the book that is futuristic or seventies or no, attempting and from, at from all time
0: to time, be to time futuristic to me. It would just say like, Oh, it was a nineteen seventy-two Ford. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that was a shorthand for science fiction writers if they were putting their works into a non-science fiction like magazine to let the person reading it know that what they were reading was science fiction so they wouldn't get all weirded out once aliens came.
1: Okay.
0: That's my own theory. Sure. I'm running with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's as good a theory as and
0: be- Because it comes, like, right at the top. Because in the story, you go pretty deep before you realize anything's, like, really wrong.
1: What are you writing? Uh... Stories. Science fiction stories about uh, uh, visitors Visitors. coming down to Earth from other planets. I do want to mention Jack Finney is the author of the story. Jack Finney was born in Wisconsin October 2nd, 1911. Uh, He lived in New York City and worked in advertising before moving his family to California in the early 50s.
0: The original story was also set... In North California Yes, Mill Not-
1: Valley, California Which is a real yeah. town which Al- Although
0: it got renamed no- for Exactly, the movie. it got renamed
1: Santa Mira So, you know, you look on the Wikipedia page For Mill Valley, California And it says, you know, it was, was the setting for Jack Finney's Body Snatchers novel And then, you know, they never use that town again Cool claim to fame, though
0: Yeah, kind of like there. Sleepy Hollow
1: Mm-hmm Driving home, I had a lot of questions and no answers How could Jimmy and Wilma seem so normal now? Surely I had done nothing to cure them. Maybe they wanted me to feel secure, but why?
0: They say that the narration was added to the movie because people weren't following it. To me, it felt very natural.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: The narrator is a small-town doctor. Dr.
1: Miles Bunnell?
0: Bunnell. Bunnell. Miles Bennell. Miles Bunnell. Small-town doctor. He's a divorcee. Scandal. Yeah, I guess it was. In the movie they just used the code i spent a little time in reno i hear you were spending time in reno too and that was code cuz you would go is to that reno to
1: establish residency there for a little while cuz you can get divorced faster is that it like in, in
0: like 6 months so right. you have to go
1: Versus wherever else you can yeah
0: yeah you have to go live in a whole new town and that was the easy way to get divorced consider that a divorce so they both been to reno <laughs> and Now they're reconnecting. They're like high school sweethearts. Yep. And something's a little wrong with her cousin. Doesn't think that her uncle is her uncle. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's odd because there's been other people who claim that they're Relatives aren't their relatives. And this is happening more and more around the town. And
1: and he's the town doctor, so he's got a finger on the pulse of everyone. Yeah. Everything that's going on. He can on because...
0: connect that these aren't isolated incidents. Right.
1: And I think it's important to note that doctors in the 50s were really respected, and people brought their troubles to them. But yeah. I have to correct myself, because in the novel, it's not the 50s. It's supposed to be the 70s. <laughs> but everything about the book feels like it's still the 50s. That's
0: what makes the movie, the 56 version, really work, in my opinion, because it is so 50s, and it got more popular as time went on. And I think part of that is because our view of the 50s as a backdrop to enforce conformity through pod people, it might have been interesting in the 50s, but once you got away from it and looked back on it, mm-hmm. it was just a perfect setting. Conform. 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 A friend of the doctor's has him over to look at a dead body on his pool table, which in the book was the basement, but I love the, um, everything in this crisis as the world ends remains very 50s social. There's a dead body on the pool table. (laughs) Their first response, let's have some martinis. Yes. And as they grow more afraid of the town around them because that body disappears and they become convinced that that body was slowly turning into uh, Belichick. Belichick. They decide to stick together the Belichicks and Becky and, and the doctor are all just sort of hiding out together. Mm-hmm. But they still have a barbecue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need a martini, Beck. Onion or a roll. Doesn't matter. I want to pour it on the charcoal.
1: The Belichicks call the doctor over to see this body. He says to the doctor, I want you to examine it. I want to put ideas in your head. I want you to... to
0: t- t- tell me what you see. Tell
1: me what you see. And he's looking at it and... Becky makes... Becky or the Brellacheck woman...
0: The wife, played wife, by...
1: Played by... Carolyn Caroline Jones. Carolyn Jones, the name was escaping me. Morticia.
0: Morticia Adams. I've never seen her do anything else that I know of. You know, if she's not running around in the Morticia Adams wig, she's kind of hard to recognize. You just are very striking in that outfit, but I understand that um, it takes you a couple of hours to get out of it. Yes, it does, because I have to get the wig undone and the makeup off, and uh, it takes about 20 minutes to get out of the dress.
1: But they he, discover...
0: That it was sort of like a newly minted body. It wasn't formed. It had no scars. It had no real fine features.
1: Yeah, it, it, it reminds it, the wife it, of It wasn't uh, really dead. When they stamp a medallion, a gold medallion or something. Yeah,
0: she says, like, how tall would you say it is? <laughs> And she's like, that's my husband's height and my husband's weight. And they're all like, it's turning into your husband.
1: Once the doctor and everyone, they see it, he he decides to fingerprint it.
0: It's got a fingerprint. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He comes to a conclusion. He's he's taken Becky home and suspects her father because her father was kind of hinky, I think.
1: Yeah, she. And
0: he, he like, rushes. Out. In the book, he runs, like, on foot. Like, yeah. he doesn't have his car keys. And he's just running like a crazy person in his pajamas and like finds in her basement, in both instances, the almost-formed body of Becky in the basement, and he goes and wakes her up. And that seems to be key, if you're asleep, that's when your doppelganger gets formed. They don't know that it comes from giant pods until they're all having their end-of-the-world barbecue. They're like huge seed
1: pods. This must be the way that body in my closet was formed.
0: Miles, where do they come from? I don't know. If they are seeds or seed
1: pods, they must grow someplace on a plant, probably. And somebody or something wants this duplication to take place.
0: Duplicates of them are growing out of these giant seed pods. Yes. And that's really all of the movie special effects, right there. Everything else just depends on people behaving in sort of a kind of a blank way, mm-hmm. or people behaving normal. But you believe that they're pod people, so you're just looking at them and looking. Can't trust anyone. Like, look at those pod people. In the 78 version, after establishing with various extras behaving kind of oddly, after that, the movie could just go out on the street and film people, just everyday people walking around. But at this point in the film, you're like, there's one, there's one. That person's probably a pod person because now you're looking for them. Yeah. You're looking for the weird, emotionless Pod people.
1: In the novel, they end up, the four of them, leaving town. They hop yeah. in a car and they drive and drive and drive for a couple of hours, stopping at one point because Miles has a realization, just like it happens in the movie, that there might be pods in their trunk. And there are! Yeah. It's terrifying! And so they get out and destroy them.
0: Really like in the movie, he stops at the filling station. And what a 50s filling station! Because they're like, ah, check your oil, wash the window. That sort of full service, you know, Yeah. fill her up, Jimmy. And they're messing around with the trunk. And then the narration comes on and goes, he might have just been checking the spare tire, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. He checks your car's oil, radiator if needed, and the battery to help keep it full of get up and go. That is just not a thing that happens anymore. But since it was such a hey neighbor kind of 1950s where the gas man was in his basement, like, ah, oh, just checking the meter in your basement. Oh, that's cool. The meter man played by um, Sam Peckinpah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who was also on there for, like, dialogue rewrites, I've read. Yeah, yeah. And then, because, like, so many people are identified in the 56 version, like, by their job. The part where they're in Becky's father's basement, and he's like, see, there was a body here. Why, there's no body there? What? And then the cop just kind of leans in the window is like, hey, guys, what's happening here? Break it up. And they all know each other's first names. And it all seems really nice, like a nice way to live. Which
1: is what makes it more horrific when people are turning on you. Because back then, especially in a small town in the 50s, you were a part of each other's lives. you had gone to school yeah. with a milkman. You played with them on the playground, like
0: and the cop and the filling station. Everyone people.
1: and so yes, it's not a big deal that the meter readers in your basement. So when you realize that if you can't trust these people, you're out of luck.
0: And the they're fact that so
1: interwoven into your life.
0: We don't have that 1950s attitude anymore. Just makes that 1950s setting all the better. Yeah. For this particular definitely. kind of horror. And my God, in a 1950s movie, the idea of even saying the line don't call the cops, we can't trust the cops, How, however it is they, they put it.
1: Yes, I actually wrote that down as a that? really sobering, scary moment Anywhere. When, when, the Bel- when the Belichick says, and Miles, don't call the cops.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like so they've got the phone company, and that's kind of frightening because that's its own way to get help. Right, And then it's like, don't trust authority, don't trust the system, don't trust the cops.
1: Which everything in the 50s was centered around, like, you trust the town doctor with everything. He, prob- he Movies delivers would, your kids, you, yeah. everything. Movies
0: and would end the with the cops showing up. Yeah. It's just like, gangland criminals, gangland criminals, gangland criminals. Cops, you know. Cops yeah. are here.
1: You don't need to know anything else because they're going to fix it.
0: It's okay now. The end. It's been a Warner Brothers picture.
1: But when you can't trust the cops.
0: Yeah you are on your own and that's pretty scary and the other is this is a perfect example of one of my buttons involuntary metamorphoses.
1: oh boy i'm sorry about that
0: the idea that you would then be stripped of your emotions and humanity and that you would just be a pod person
1: yeah there's nothing to be afraid of we're not going to hurt you but once you understand you'll be grateful remember how teddy and i fought against it
0: well we were wrong you mean teddy doesn't mind
1: of course not. She feels exactly the way I do. Let us go! Look, we'll leave town. We won't come back. We can't let you go. You're dangerous to us. Don't fight it, Miles. It's no use. Sooner or later, you'll have to go to sleep. The options to run, the places to hide, all kind of fall away. In in any situation like this, you know those situations where you're dealing with bad people. Yeah, um, I could do. And Miles and Becky wind up in his office. Yeah. And one thing that is kind of a weird detail of the book that
0: that's not in the movie is
1: not in the movie is that the doctor has two articulated yeah. skeletons, well, a man he's, and a woman, he's a looking, female and a male, in his office. He's
0: looking all over his office, and he's like, uh, "This is useless. That's useless. Scalpels, useless." And I'm like, "Hold the phone." <laughs>
1: There are quite a few things in the proverbial third act of this novel that really don't make sense, including a lot of the science. Why don't
0: you just hold on to those
1: scalpels? (laughs) It gets a little bit ridiculous.
0: Those are just really sharp knives. But he disregards it so they can get to what you just said. He's got a pair of skeletons. And so he reasons that because they were actual skeletons and not like plaster. They
1: did live.
0: Yeah, they were organic material. So he kind of positions them. And the male
1: skeleton's name is Fred, just for the record. All right.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, so the pods, which he reasons are like the last couple pods they have because they've already seen what I've always considered a very freaky scene in the original film, which is everyone coming out weirdly early in the morning to the town square, and they're just handing out giant pods.
1: Sacramento. Yeah. Sausalito.
0: If you have relatives, and and they'll just name a city. Yeah. And so they're all taking them to spread outside of...
1: Santa Mira. Santa in the, Mira in the movie, yeah.
0: AK Mill Valley. Boy, that you know, sort of like gentlemen in their hats and women in their skirts. All here to take over the world.
1: Yeah, it's pretty freaky. Your new bodies are growing in there. They're taking you over, cell for cell, atom for atom. There's no pain. Suddenly while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories, and you're reborn into an untroubled world. Where
0: everyone's the same. Exactly.
1: What a world. But so Miles and Becky are locked away in his office. The, the
0: oh, and end. Jack, got, or Jack is it? Mm-hmm. Belichick. Bel- the Belichick, Belichick yeah. got taken. Yes. You never see his wife in the 78 version, played by Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. I know you'd love it. Gar- He's been taken, and that's just sort of heartbreaking. And you're like, no, he didn't make it because they split up. And you're like... I hope the Belichicks made it out of town to bring in the Army and the Navy. Yeah. And then he's like, hey there, buddy. It's all good. Just become a pod person. Yeah. They manage their escape in both instances. In the 78 version, they run into Mrs. Belichick, played by, from Alien. Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright, who also comes back in Invasion, and that's just nice casting. Mm -hmm. They run into her on the steps, and they do that thing where it's like they both have to pretend that they're pod people until they can sort of until
1: someone's up. brave enough to like someone cracks, a move. yeah,
0: yeah, and they realize, oh, she's still human, and she's like, Oh, we have to go, we have
1: to find Jack,
0: we have to find Jack, and they're like,
1: Yeah, we'll find it, yeah, yeah they never
0: tell her, him. no, actually, she's probably still at, at the very end, still wandering around looking for Jack, definitely. I love Becky, tomorrow, will I feel the same? There's no need for love, no emotion, and you have no feelings. Only
1: the instinct to survive. You can't love or be loved, am I right? You say it as if it were terrible. Believe me, it isn't. You've been in love before. It didn't last. It never does. Love. Desire. Ambition. Faith. Without them, life's so simple. Believe me. I don't want any part of it. You're forgetting something, Miles. What's that? You have no choice. In the novel, they're in the office... Miles has this idea that if he takes the, his two articulated skeletons and places them right on the other side of the door, on the inside of the door, as close to the pods as possible, and puts their blood and hair on the skeletons, that it will trick the pods. And it works!
0: It works. The pods start forming skeletons. And the pod people are like, well, you're clever.
1: This is Janzik,
0: They got away. Turn the main siren on. So they're on the run. And in the movie, they go to the Bronson Caves, which is the Bat Cave. Have you ever been up there?
1: Nope.
0: I used to take people there all the time because it's pretty easy from Griffith Park. And I would never tell people, oh, here's the cave from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I'd say, here's where Adam West's Batman would drive out with the Batmobile. To the Bat Cave. We haven't one moment to lose. In the book, they just hide in the tall grass. Yeah. In the movie, they go and hide in the Batcave, like under planks. The whole town's like running over them, mm-hmm. and Benel hears music, and he's like, "Music, people, life! There must be somebody nearby." And he goes, "Yeah, that's the
1: moment that doesn't happen in the book.
0: It doesn't. It no. happens
1: in the movie, and, and then in the seventy-eight. Yeah, in
0: the seventy-eight, it's you would never think of it as really being that effective." But it's a bagpipe version of Amazing Grace, Mm -hmm. and it really super-duper works.
1: Yeah, it made me feel pretty emotional.
0: And there's so much hope, and for the 56, it's just kind of like samba party music, it sounds like. And it, and
1: it, it turns out to be a radio in a car.
0: And it's not like people listening to it, it's pod people farming pods. And one of them goes like, what music? And you just hear him change the channel to, like, a weather report because that's all that matters now. Yeah. Life is drained out of the town, and the town is the world. Right. I want to impress that. And in the case of the 78, he follows the music to a ship, and he's like, a ship? We can get out of here. And then he sees, and it's still just, like, this melancholy but triumphant bagpipe music. And then he sees that the ship is being loaded up with seed pods. So it's not even just a small town. In his case, it's this big city, and now it's wherever that place is going. I always thought Scotland, just because of bagpipes, but really that boat could be going anywhere.
1: Yes, of course.
0: And then whoever's got the radio on goes, bagpipes, and it's like a weather report, and he's yeah. like, good. Yeah. And that's when he goes back, in both cases, goes back to Becky or you know, Brooke Adams, and...
1: In the book, Miles and Becky hide out in an open field, but it's got tall grass, and that's how they hide. Oh, wait, it just
0: occurred to me. Becky never gets taken over. Mm -hmm. Becky never gets taken over in the book. So in the movie, The 56, it's such a great scene. He, Kevin McCarthy, I haven't said his name yet, Kevin McCarthy as the doctor, Bunnell, he goes away, he comes back, and he's like, it wasn't what I thought it was, but we got to keep moving. He goes to kiss his beloved if this adventure has taught him nothing, it said, "Man, he loves Becky." Yeah. And if he gets out of this, he's going to fill her with babies. Um, goes to kiss her, and depends on your interpretation. Did she turn? Did she fall asleep and turn during the kiss? That one's more dramatic, and that's. I some never people's thought reading
1: of that way, but i sh- sure.
0: Well, the science of the pods would be that while he was gone, she fell asleep, got duplicated. The duplicate put on her clothes because
1: because right, they do.
0: Naked! Yeah, you come out naked.
1: It's implied in the '50s, but you see it in the '70s version.
0: You do, you really do. Arr. And she's not fast to put on her doppelganger's clothes either. She? She's just no shame. running around naked, going.
1: Yeah,
0: but yeah. So what would have had to happen in the '50s version to follow its own science was there was a pod nearby. She fell asleep. The pod took her over. The body would have. They only say like the body. The original gets destroyed in the process. It never really says how. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 78, everyone just sort of like, you see them turn into fluff and you see all this like gray fluff being dumped into omnipresent trash trucks that are just full of it. And once you learn what that is, you're like, man, everyone's turning. Mm-hmm. In the 78, he's holding her in his arms, telling her like, oh, we can just get to the boat. And she just like dehydrates and yeah. turns to fluff in his arms. Yeah. And then pops up like five feet away naked. So in the 56... She would have had to fluff, pop up, well, wh- put on the yeah. clothes. Then Kevin McCarthy comes back and kisses her, and mid-kiss realizes he's not kissing his beloved. He's kissing an emotionless duplicate yeah. of her. Great scene, only undone by my overthinking it.
1: Yes, definitely. Okay, well. Um, to get back to the book. Er-
0: back to the book where yeah. Becky has not been taken over. Yeah. The two of them find just the fields of... Not completed pods.
1: On their way to the 101. Yeah. Because they want to leave.
0: Yeah. S- safety at the freeway. Yeah. Which, by the way, you see the 101 at, at the end of the 56. That That is the 101. Yeah. That's that bridge that c- connects Cahuenga mm. over there.
1: So they see the pods and they want to run, but then they realize that they can't waste the chance they have because it's it they're to
0: destroy the pods, stealing away
1: in the middle of the night and they're not being seen. And if they can just make it to the 101 and get away, but he realizes they shouldn't waste their chance of getting away on just themselves, that they should really do something about this field of pods. So they there's gas in a Barn and they torch the pods. Gasoline, yeah. Most of them, yeah.
0: But there's still a lot of pods left, and they're like, ah, crud.
1: And now they've drawn attention to themselves. But,
0: book spoiler alert. Yeah. And everything's getting spoiled, folks. So, Mm -hmm. turn back now. It's a given. The remaining pods now consider Earth to be barren and hostile because all the others got torched. And they just like break off from their vines and ascend back into space. From whence they came to go
1: find some other planet.
0: Yeah, and it's like, well, some other planets problem now. And yes, they saved the world, but the town eventually gets revitalized, but only by new people coming in. Because they've everybody's lost.
1: Everybody's gonna die. Everyone dies. Yeah. It's so
0: depressing. But they have yeah. Weird. Well, while other versions can imply that like the world is ending, if the town is the world, they've lost the world. Mm-hmm. In another sense, he still gets to marry Becky.
1: Yeah. And I just think it's really morbid how like, this town, ta- despite it, the fact that oh, like, yeah. they win, as it were, and they've saved the greater world. There's
0: no revenge in these pod people, by the way. They're no, just like, well... They just well,
1: walk away.
0: The race is now going to another planet, and... Huh, I
1: guess I'll just live out the rest of my five years It never years
0: really here. says... Okay, now here's the part that fascinates me, and I, I'd like a whole other book about what this was like, which is... Dr. Bunnell and Becky and the Belichicks live in in the book. They don't become pod people. They continue to live in a town.
1: A dying town.
0: Yeah. They don't just pack up and leave and say, so long, like Salem's lot, and just let it die. He stays like a doctor in a town full of just shuffling pod people. And new people move in and...
1: It's so dark. Yeah. really think about it. What's it
0: like to be like the last four real people in a town of shamblers, and they're not, they don't believe in revenge, they're not out to get them, they're not out to hurt them, they're just this sort of aimless population who may or may not be, like, doing their jobs.
1: Right! Yeah. Why would they? They just need to survive. They
0: just need to survive, but even when they were pod people, they would just sort of, like, with lackluster, just be like, they go to the soda fountain, and it's like, service is terrible, but it's still a functioning Yeah. Soda fountain.
1: Yeah, it makes the question if the... I know that Miles was born in that town. His father was the doctor of the town before he was.
0: Slowly new people move in. Right. And the population dies off because they're not supposed to last that long. And I get
1: that. And it becomes this, like, I guess a new town, uh, right? But but for a
0: while there. But if
1: you're the... If you... I understand that, like, the reason he stayed to fight was because he cared so much about this town and it meant everything and community and all of that. But then to stay there. With all those horrible memories of, like, finding what looked like dead bodies in the basement. All your friends. And having to kill a doppelganger of yourself and and your closest friends. And all your friends, the little old ladies, everyone you knew is not who you knew anymore, and they're just dying around you. Why wouldn't you leave and start over? I
0: guess it's like being surrounded by just the memories of these people. I guess. In the form of shambling pod people.
1: I guess that gives you some time to process your grief. As I would have just, like, taken over
0: the town Last man on earth style, and has been like, Now this place is new Milestown. <laughs> he probably ran for mayor unopposed. And as as new people uh move in, he's like, Well, I'm the bartender, I'm also the mayor, and I'm also the sheriff, and I'm also <laughs> Oh my god. I own most of the property now. Don't want to get into how that happened, but uh I'm kind of a rich man. <laughs> Must we continue to listen to the ramblings of a lunatic?
1: I just want to talk about the themes that were really read into, because it, nothing was high, super purposeful when they were making the movie, but everyone yeah. used Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the well, 1956 I mean, film, as a criticism of communism. And
0: I'm, I'm putting in all this hindsight, 1950s conformity into it, which some of that may have been in the ether, as well as the, the Red Scare. From the writer of the original novel to the director of it to the actors, they're like, we were just making a, as good a thriller as we could. Right. To believe that it had nothing more than that. It's kind of hard to swallow.
1: Well, the director... What was his name? Don Siegel. Don Siegel. Who plays said, the
0: cabbie in the... In the 78, 78. What a
1: nice little Easter egg. He said that stuff couldn't help but creep in to a story like this. Okay. He said, but I didn't want to preach because I believe that movies are meant to entertain. I wasn't trying to teach anybody a lesson or really be heavy-handed. He goes, the themes creep in, and I'm not going to deny that, but it wasn't why I made the movie. So okay. So there's, there's your answer. But I'm of the school that... Once you've made a thing, no matter what you meant by it, people are going to... It's not yours to it. interpret. Right. Not anymore.
0: It's the viewers.
1: I noted a couple of things from the book where... I guess it must be Miles. I didn't write down who said it. He's referring to modern telephones without operators. And the quote is sometimes... Well, th-
0: I- th- that's where they were at in the 50s. You could make local calls without operators. But you couldn't make long-distance calls without operators. I
1: guess he assumes that by the 70s, like, that it wouldn't have progressed any more than that either. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, But he says, sometimes I think we're refining all humanity out of our lives. So there are themes of—
0: Well, that's definitely a good notion then and now because progress keeps progressing. So, you know, it's like, well, all we do now is text. We don't even hear the other person's voice. And just like watching movies, it's like, well, we used to go to the movie house and see a triple feature. And right now we're lamenting the loss of video stores where we're like, why you'd go in your car and you'd walk the aisles and pick out a movie. Right. I think as long as the experience involves other people, no matter what it is, that's what's key. Mm -hmm. And that's the commonality, even as the mediums change. I refer to telephones and movies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In a lot that I was reading, some people were saying that these films or this novel and this story, it simultaneously appeals to fears of other people and fears of ourselves. Like how scary it is to have to worry about falling asleep and suspicion of the people around you and fear of the other because it's not their fault that you have to be suspicious of them because uh, the humans around you because they've been infected with something and how because it's playing on both of those fears at the same time that it's one of the most universally... Effective plot lines And that's why it's been so sustainable And why it's so permeated
0: Everything And we're not the first generation to have had An epidemic Hmm. We're like well it would make a good AIDS Metaphor except uh, they didn't have AIDS No they had polio And before polio influenza And boy did that work fast So yeah those themes Are unfortunately fairly Universal because they transcend uh, Generations keep your hand out of the water
1: what's wrong with the water the water is filled with carnivorous fish it's headed for that movie theater it but don't you understand he's not a monster he's a shoe salesman would you let that fit you in a pump switch switch damage switch they're like huge sea must be the way that putty in my closet was formed. Miles, where did they come from? Having fun? Pretty neat, huh? So, you wanted to talk about Kevin McCarthy.
0: My introduction to all things Kevin McCarthy came through Joe Dante movies.
1: And Kevin McCarthy, in case you're listening and don't know, he's the lead.
0: He's the lead. He's the handsome young man. He's the doctor.
1: I'll say handsome. He was the first, like, black and white... Movie star that I kind of felt lusty for. I saw right, Body Snatchers. I will not settle down.
0: <laughs> when, when did you first see it?
1: I mean I was a kid. I saw it I watched it several times when I was young and I always thought he was so cute. Which was um I mean maybe this is weird cuz but for me like I, there as a young kid there was almost always a kind of a disconnect for black and white films like it always felt so removed yeah my and like I couldn't really truly relate it I don't feel that way anymore but I, so, I think
0: everyone needs a sort of bridge movie yeah. mine was Some like It Hot Yours was perhaps.
1: It could be Invasion of Body Snatchers. At least Invasion of Body Snatchers was the first time I looked at a movie that I knew was decades old, but I was like, that guy's cute. (laughs) I just thought Kevin McCarthy was handsome.
0: Oh, he's so handsome. So, the film brats, as they're known, that sort of like Coppola Scorsese, Spielberg generation of filmmakers, were very fond of recalling the classic films they came up on. Perhaps none more so than Joe Dante who put Kevin McCarthy in several of his films, starting with Piranha, and then for Inner Space, he was the bad guy. He was, like, the heavy bad guy and was great. And when I started writing, when I was, like, 12, 13 years old, I would write these sort of James Bond rip-off stories, and the bad guy was based on Kevin McCarthy's scrimshaw, who, like, dressed all in white. Thank you. I wonder, miss, if Cowboy's ever told you of his incredible tolerance for pain. Is what? He's what is what? And in Gremlins, he doesn't act in Gremlins, but we see him definitely because after the scene where Billy accidentally kinda gets tricked into feeding the Mogwai. Is Pearl for Mogwai Mogwai? Feeding the Mogwai's. After midnight, he then sort of settles into the black and white movie he's watching and it's the ending of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it took me a while to figure that out, and I didn't know what was so bad that You're next, they're here, they're already here. I knew it was the ending of some crazy, probably science fiction movie. Like, I figured it was aliens. I didn't know from pod people, definitely. I saw one of the pods in Gremlins 2. Someone's carrying around one of those pods as another nod Mm -hmm. to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But that whole scene just goes out as he sort of slowly falls asleep. And as the Mogwais eat the chicken... After midnight, thereby turning them into gremlins, it just ends on, you're next, you're next, you're next. And, and I think Gizmo's watching him, and he's like,
1: that's
0: scary. And Billy's falling asleep, and you think, maybe he shouldn't be falling asleep. Maybe he should be dealing with with uh, with, with some up-and-coming gremlins, but that warning's still ringing as the scene fades out. You're next, you're next. Only too glad later in life to find out the context of that crazy warning as he runs through traffic trying to get people's attention, everyone's like, get out of the road!
1: I guess we didn't quite mention that the 1956 film, they enforced a frame story around it. They made them film a prologue and an epilogue where... And,
0: and considering...
1: Letting everyone know that it's at least a semi-optimistic ending where he gets word out to the FBI, you know,
0: whatever. Yeah, well, he manages to convince the authorities that, yes, there are these pods going to different... Cities and someone picks up the phone and is like, "Give me the army and the navy."
1: And he's standing up against the door, just like he's so anguished. And he's so, uh, uh,
0: uh. but one, presumably
1: he can take a nap now, right? Because he's not near a pod.
0: Actually, he's see. really close to a pod because. Oh, did they bring one into the hospital, or they just mentioned seeing the pods?
1: They just mentioned seeing. Oh, that's right. Right, right, right. There
0: was a, there was a truck rack out on the one hundred and one. That's right. Darnedest thing! It was full of these Never giant seen seed like it. pods. And then the that's other doctor's like, that's all I need. Get me the president. Yeah.
1: But like you said, the narration of the movie and the prologue and epilogue were added later. Yeah, It originally I, started with him just coming home from the trip he'd been on. There was no yeah. prior where it sets you up like, There's a this, crazy it all man. started when it never...
0: It I ended. like the addition of the beginning because we know that he'll reach that state. And in the beginning, everything's just sort of like nice and happy 50s. I'm the doctor and you're my best girl. Yeah. But we know that his future. I mean, I
1: the music idyllic. When, when Becky first shows up is like cheese ball romance music. Yeah. It's all very nice and lovely.
0: But kind of looming over all of this is the knowledge that eventually he's going to reach that manic state and right. get pulled out of traffic yelling at cars.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. My God. Oh my God. Lock the door. Lock the door. are coming. They're They're coming. coming. They're coming! They're coming! Listen to me! No, he's listen! A of his me. You're next! Please. Please! You're next! We're in danger! Please, listen to me! Something terrible! Please! You're next! You're the other. They're already here! Come! You're next! They're coming! They're coming!
0: I must have done something. <gasps>
1: So the movie version of the Jack Finney novel was remade in 1978. We keep saying the 70s, 78 version. Yeah, 78. It was remade in 78.
0: Featuring a cameo by one Kevin McCarthy. A
1: really incredible cameo that I didn't know was coming.
0: That's like about all I knew about it.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. And it was such a lovely surprise.
0: And I had just recently watched the 78 version for the first time because I was really fond of the original. And this just looked like a hairier version, because it's the 70s.
1: Oh, oh, it's hairier. It is a very 70s version, full of 100% more mud baths, holistic treatments, and body And and
0: what I keep hearing, and I don't have a really good bead on just this part of the 70s, and less than being the 70s, it's more the end of the 60s, which is the revolution was about as one as it would ever be, you know? thank you, Charles Manson, thank you, Altamont, thank you, Richard Nixon, Mm. I don't know, as the ideals sort of tapered off and people started concentrating more on themselves. You know, Billy, we blew it.
1: Well, that's a very important thing that you just said, because I think you can take this basic concept of something infecting people with This thing that makes them emotionless and whatever.
0: Puts everyone on a hive mind.
1: Yes. The effects of that and the consequences and the impact of it just changes... Beautifully, when you take it from a very, very small town in the '50s, and then you plop that in an incredibly urban area, which is San Francisco, which in the late '70s, yeah, in the culture that you're describing, which, which less is than this a decade kind of like earlier, self-help culture
0: that was like ground zero for the counterculture, and now it's just sort of the remnants, yeah, of that has transformed itself into self-help, which. I didn't realize was had been around for I guess a, as a movement less time than I really would have thought. Mm-hmm. That at around that point in American history at least, the I'm okay, you're okay mentality started focusing more on the self. Yeah. By the 80s that would just take the form of greed and, and sure. in materialism maybe, yeah. but personified by this time instead of having the town psychiatrist, it's the book writing famous psychiatrist whereas today we might have like Dr. Phil yeah. or Dr. Drew exactly come in and set that. everyone straight but really he's a pod person yeah This was Leonard Nimoy
1: who I also I didn't expect to see him and I was like Leonard Nimoy yeah who I was I mean he's sensible. Such an authority
0: yeah an authority he's sensible he's logical yeah He's like well what you're suggesting couldn't possibly be what you're suggesting and da-da-da-da-da. well My work is done here. The 2007 never really came together. But I will say that in all the others, they're like, we've got to reach Washington. I know a guy in the Justice Department. I know somebody, if only we could reach Washington, and that Nicole Kidman version, it's in in Washington.
1: Washington. And the
0: (laughs) others are like, we got to call a psychiatrist for a second opinion. Like, even though he's a doctor, or in the 78, he's a health inspector. So he's kind of got one foot in science, one foot in politics. Yeah. She is a psychiatrist. She is in Washington. Now what do you do?
1: I think that in many ways that's the necessary progression of these versions of the story. In the 50s version, it's like, if only we could get out to the grander authority figures. Who do you know in Washington? Miles! Rack yeah. Rain, Whoever it is! Call him up!
0: In the Take book, over. he gets through to a friend who's like, yes. I don't know what to do for you. Yeah. And in the movie, it's like, all circuits your, your are busy. Through.
1: Yeah. But you move from this small town to San Francisco, which is a bigger town and you've got to find a way for your protagonist to be equally in the system as a small town doctor small town doctor is the system of a small town in many ways like he's a trusted confidant when you've got the donald sutherland character who's working for the department of public health he is in the system he's a civil servant but he's contending with ever larger infrastructure of a city so it's, it's much more complicated because there are people saying, "Well, now let's let's wait to say this until this. Goes. You can't inform the public because then you're concerned with instead of a one giant public reaction.
0: Yeah, instead of one phone operator stonewalling them, there's a whole sequence of just bureaucracy.
1: Right. Then you get them. to the '93 version, which is on a military base. Yeah. And then you're in Washington. Like it just becomes this step ladder." So, so, the 70... Oh, God. Here's one thing that I love about the 78 version is the rela- I think the relationship between Donald Sutherland character and his Elizabeth Driscoll is so real. And it feel, to me, I feel like both the 50s version and the 70s version, they're both such warm, believable, charming relationships. And they're the adult
0: relationships. Very adult. And they're a little outside the norm of the day. Yeah. In both versions. Yeah. In that case, they're just... Really close coworkers mm-hmm. in, in in the '78, yeah. And you get a scene of just one their relationship, and two what it is we're fighting for, yeah. Which is just to enjoy each other, to love each other. And this is done in just a scene where she's a little worried because her boyfriend doesn't really seem like her boyfriend, and he's like, "I just made stir fry, and it is great." Yeah, and she's like, let's
1: step outside and eat some of it and yeah, hang and out, just enjoy life.
0: And then she does that great thing with her eyes. Yeah, which of course she could actually do. Like, there's no amount of special effects in '78 that can do that. Yeah, with her because she just makes her eyes just sort of dance around it's real weird. One of the things
1: you, you know, someone discovered she could do it on set, and they were like, oh, uh, we're putting that in." Perfect. Which it was directed by Philip Kaufman, who has a story by credit for Raiders of the Lost Ark. He also directed one of my favorite movies in high school, Quills. With Jeffrey Rush
0: and Kate Winslet. Oh my God, the Marquis de Sade movie. Okay. I'm going to
1: make that noise a lot <laughs> during this episode. Yeah.
0: But it's yeah, so a funny
1: eye trick. You as know.
0: the movie progresses, you can like feed off of that scene and their chemistry in that scene to get you through why you're running, why you're fighting, yes. why you're so sad now that she's gone yeah and, and it's why possible? is it such a tragedy at the such, end
1: they do it with such little time together yeah. i mean i think that's why where it's this movie scene. is so effective is i just if that scene does it and then there's also a moment i think earlier than that where they're at work they're in their public health offices they're walking down the hall and she's got to break off and go into the room or he does and he just stops and looks at her and he's like what can i what can i do for you what do you need and he just connects with her. He's like, I'm, you know, like you know, they're they're great friends. You can tell that he loves her, but they don't beat you over the head with it. He knows that she has a boyfriend. He's respectful of that, but they have this like zip zap zop chemistry. It's so good. Can you tell? I loved this movie.
0: Oh you really? Yeah, I got a series of texts from you so as good. you made your way through the film. But you're right. It was right. mostly emojis. For you.
1: It does reflect the '50s version, the Miles and Becky characters. Scott, especially in the book, but in the but in the movie, they're fighting for I don't know, God and country and humanity. You know, in Becky says in the '56 version, she says, "I don't want to live in a world without love, grief." Miles, I can't bear it, and she's so like she's just like beautifully hysterical. But it's about I don't want to live in this kind of a world. But you're right, the '78 version is kind of more like. We've got this great connection. Let's not lose each other. Yeah, and they have the Belichick's, as it were, their friends are played as you mentioned by Jeff Goldblum and Veronica Cartwright, Mm -hmm. and they run like a dirty hippie spa,
0: mud baths, mud baths. Which
1: it's pretty. That
0: was a thing of the time. (laughs) Yeah, that was one of those sort of new age cures you could find. You can
1: still take a mud bath.
0: Yeah, and two, it's treating people like they were plants.
1: Oh shit.
0: You did
1: it. Um, It's true. Crack the code. It's true. You've done it. I have seen these flowers all over. They're growing like parasites on other plants. All of a sudden, where are they coming from? Outer space? They're not coming from outer space.
0: Why not, Jack?
1: They're not coming from outer space, Nancy. Why? What are you talking about?
0: A space flower? Well, why not a space flower? Why do we always expect
1: metal ships?
0: I've never expected metal ships.
1: The... Seventy 78 version plays out beat by beat fairly similarly. I mean, mm-hmm. all of... Well, all of them except, I guess, You, you can look
0: at a lot too. of parts and just sort of translate it pretty directly yeah. to there what they did really in the 50s. There were some really specific
1: and beautiful nods. But then, you know, it's that sad thing of people you've grown close to, like the Jeff Goldblum character. You find out that they've turned. It sucks. But the end, the four... Well, before... Well... So the very end... Yeah. The two of them... Which two? The two leads.
0: Okay, well, she turns to dust and he is heartbroken and takes out his grief by trying to destroy a whole warehouse full of pods.
1: And I can't exaggerate when I say it was heartbreaking. Yeah. The way he's kind of screaming and crying is very like he's barely making any noise and it's disturbing from a human perspective to think about someone that you cared about that much, literally shriveling up. It looks like she dehydrates. Yeah. It's awful. And just, it's a good moment to mention that the, all the practical effects in this movie are really incredible, I think. They're really beautiful. Like the scene where he, there are the pod people are out in Donald Sutherland's character's backyard and he has to destroy them is like pretty graphic and brutal and gross.
0: Yeah, this time you get to see what happens when the gardening Whoa. tool hits the doppelganger
1: just some gorgeous work there but yes so he's all alone now and he decides to take out as many as he can and there's like a facility yeah
0: he manages to blow up some pods we're not really sure where it all leads now he's back in his office elizabeth is total pod person like her hair is just back and you're like well there goes the life out of her eyes (sighs) and everyone's just kind of going about their jobs and it's quitting time, and they all file out and into an elevator.
1: And he files out.
0: He files out, and you're like, is he doing the thing where you just pretend to be one of them? Yeah.
1: I went back and forth so many times, but I, my, I think my heart really wanted to believe that he just decided, like, I've got to figure out a way to beat this, but for right now, I've got to go to work, and I've got to play along.
0: Yeah. You're like, That's
1: when my heart was Don't
0: worry, Donald Sutherland's at. still on the case yeah. until he's just walking kind of aimlessly around, and Veronica Cartwright sees him, and she's like, hey!
1: And he looks at her, he looks and at you her. think maybe he's going to give her a subtle, I don't know, my heart is hoping that he'll give her some kind of indication, like, yeah, let's go he'd meet be like, somewhere to There's check There's an at.
0: underground, follow me, we'll beat this thing, but instead he just, like, points at her, makes that face, Ugh. does it. The- <laughs> It just ends on Veronica Cara going, No, 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 and shaking her head, No, and you're watching it going, No.
1: And the credits roll silently.
0: Yeah, for a movie with so much great sound, it just like Deafening leaves you silence. with that streak. That shriek is the last thing you hear. And then it doesn't like. Bring up music to be like, well, this is pleasant. It just leaves you on a shriek. I and silent. Love it
1: so, so effective. There's something in the air, and it feels like fear. There's
0: something in the night. And it seems like terror. There's someone in your bed,
1: and it looks like you, mommy. Life will be simpler now.
0: The only thing missing, mommy, will be you.
1: There's a 1993 version.
0: It was the same director. It was Abel Ferrer. Ferrera. Ferrera, who had done Bad Lieutenant that year, I don't which know is that movie. a very different film. Huh. And then took on a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, setting it this time in an army base, which has plenty of scary parts. Those parts that are effective to me are the more personal parts. What's missing from this one is the community.
1: Right, because they're not a part... The yeah. main characters of this film are not a part of this community. She's been there like traveling a week. to this place. The movie is narrated by a teenage girl who's traveling with her father, her stepmother, and her brother... Gabriel Anwar. different army bases because he is a member of the EPA. Yeah. In, He's inspecting like, military bases for what they're... Which
0: know, might be suggesting that these things chemicals. are less chemical planetary invaders, more the result of like chemical mutation. Because they never get into... Where they come from? Only you do
1: see the army people pulling them out of. They're like coming the out of like river. a swamp.
0: Right. Body snatchers. The invasion continues. They kill to be you. But the hero, Bird notices Gabrielle Anwar. She can't look around and say like, "Man, this army base sure has changed." One, she doesn't know what it was like before because she just got there. And two, because it's an army base, there's so much. She's like, oh, everyone's dressing the same. It's an army base. Yeah. Everyone's really uh, following orders. It's an army base.
1: Everyone lives in the same housing.
0: So that makes it a little scarier that, like, it can spread so much and no one can notice because it's an army base.
1: And the majority of the people who are getting turned are, like, people of authority with guns. So That's true. It's harder and, to and question. And this
0: allows them. for, man, once it becomes no longer just a state of paranoia for some people, it's... We've all got guns, and so do the pod people, but so does everybody else, so there's a lot more shooting in this version. Yeah.
1: Along with a few other people, Stuart Gordon wrote the screenplay for this.
0: And we got to see Billy Worth.
1: Billy Worth.
0: Lost boy Billy Worth. So cute. With more than just, like, two or three lines, because... He was the
1: vampire with the dark hair who gets killed on the speakers.
0: Death by stereo. Death by stereo. Who... His hair's shorter, and he's got more to do.
1: I'll take him anywhere I can get him.
0: And he's one of the non-pod people who has to, like, walk among the pod people. And, like, he goes into the infirmary where, like, people are being forced to sleep and turn into pod people. Yeah. And this time, instead of just being, like, oh, the pod is, like, six feet away, now it's, like, got tendrils that, that like... That
1: go into your nose and your mouth. nose and mouth and, mouth really
0: and surround you. And, and one, of the girl's in the bathtub and, like... The pod is in like the drop ceiling, and as it turns into her, it becomes too heavy for the drop ceiling and crashes through into the bathtub with the girl. Yeah, and then she's she's like face. She's face in a with bathtub this. with this unformed version of her, and then one scene later. She goes to wake her dad up, and he's got the tendrils all over him too. And she like pulls it off, and then an unformed version of him grabs exactly, her ankle, under the
1: bed, yeah, grabs yeah. grabs her ankle from under the bed. These
0: are all really they scary do parts. Get really
1: playful with that stuff. Oh, not to mention probably the most terrifying part moment for anyone in the movie, which is when the little boy goes to wake his mom up, and she's all gnarly.
0: Yeah, she just, just like turns to ash, and then like a naked version of his mom just steps out of the closet. I mean,
1: that kid's never going to be the same again. I mean, we know. I mean...
0: That's true. If
1: he didn't turn into a pod person, he would never be the same again. That's just horrible. Um, I gotta give a big shout out to Meg Tilly, who I thought was really good. She plays a stepmom. She has
0: one really good speech.
1: Also, Christina leese, her friend. Oh. So she meets this punk rock kind of chick, mm-hmm. the teenage girl does. The rebellious one. Who I I knew from Child's Play too.
0: Okay. That's
1: what I know her best from. Um, I... I've never seen Arlie Ermy so subdued in any movie,
0: by the <laughs> Once way. Once he became a pod person.
1: Or, even before that, he was. I mean, I. Actually, just mean, he probably he's... was
0: from the beginning. Yeah. Do you think?
1: Oh, whether he was a pod person or not, I'm just saying the actor, his performance was. I've, he's usually yelling at people, is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Hold on.
1: That's not even my desk. You know, the ending of this movie was tough for me because I felt like. They take Meg Tilly's character's great speech from when she's trying to convert the dad. She's like, think about it. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to hide?
0: For a movie that had first-person narration to then have to rely on a recall of a speech that was already given to give it some kind of closure.
1: And it it wasn't just the speech. It was the speech, slow down. It was like, (laughs) where are you going to go?
0: It's like they tried to solve in the ending in the editing room.
1: But it didn't feel solved to me. It's so unsatisfying. They
0: do the same thing and No, no, swing and a miss. Yeah. At the end of Invasion, the Nicole Kidman version, they sort of hit the nail on the head at the embassy dinner where the Russian is talking about life and humanity and really just lays it out on the table. And then at the end of the film, they managed to defeat the pod... Well, they're not even pod people. The virus people. And... She's standing in her kitchen, and Daniel Craig makes half a point about, like, oh, looks like we're back to war again, so I guess we are humans again. And right. They bring back that speech from the Russian, and she just has to stand there and go, oh, yeah, the Russian, he made that point. <laughs> the end.
1: Oh, boy. I do want to point out that the Russian you mentioned, who's at their little embassy dinner, is played by Roger Rees, who was sheriff of Rottingham in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, which is delightful to me and also sad because I, I, I know you like that movie. He died last year. Oh. He had cancer. And I didn't even know. But I do love that movie. That is one of my favorite movies. And I recognized him. I'm watching the movie and I was like, oh my God, it's the Sheriff of Rottingham. Much older, but look at this man. He got cancer and died last year. And it makes me really sad. But what makes me happy is learning that Kevin McCarthy lived to be 96. Did you know he lived that long? He lived a very, very long life.
0: I do, and at age of 90, he made a uh, cameo appearance as himself in the Anthony Hopkins, written and directed, challenging film, Slipstream. Mm. Here was a movie that made allusions to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, as well as had Kevin McCarthy playing himself. The whole movie's trippy and weird and... To compare it to David Lynch, gets you partway there, really, uh, all via the mind of Anthony Hopkins. Anthony
1: Hopkins wrote and directed this. Yep. Huh.
0: And in part of it, Anthony Hopkins, as the screenwriter who's losing touch with reality, picks up Kevin McCarthy, like hitchhiking in the desert, and they drive for a while, and he's like, aren't you Kevin McCarthy? He's like, sure, I am. Weren't you in Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Was I uh, Yeah. And it's just weird and... Weird! At least a quiet moment in a movie where most people are shouting. But yeah, 90 when he did that. So he stayed active for quite some time. His last movie came out two years after his death. It's a indie film that seems fun. And now that I've just been re-reminded of it, I, I might uh, check out The Ghastly Love of Johnny X.
1: Wow.
0: Sounds like a, another one of those love letters to the era like Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, like I Was a Teenage War Skunk, where he plays the Grand Inquisitor. May I call you Stanley? Okay, Stanley.
1: You're fired!
0: He was the uh, the bad guy in UHF. you ever see that?
1: I didn't. That's the weird owl. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. It's a shame on me, but...
0: He was good in that. He's good in everything he, he did. Yeah. His parts got smaller as years went on. But he but...
1: seemed like a really enthusiastic guy who who was willing. He didn't Take himself so seriously that he couldn't. Uh, I guess I'm thinking of um, the interview that I sent you. Yeah. Where he's, he's talking about Invasion and what it was like making the movie. And he, like, recreates his moment. Like, he's just, no one asks him to. But he's sitting in this interview and he's like, you're next. It's like you can see there's, like, a gleam in his eye. And he's totally embraces it. And he's happy to
0: think yeah, about it again. It, it wasn't beneath it. him. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Even in Piranha. It's a good movie if he's doing a good job. And he does a good job. Yeah. It all began in a vast uncharted region of outer space. A whole flock of strange looking carriage drifting in space for billions of years, were floating down toward the earth.
1: Um, I also watched Invasion of the Bunny Snatchers. Did you watch that cartoon as well?
0: I rewatched it. I'd I had never seen it. Taped it off of TV. It was supposed to be like this kind of like Big deal at the time, because it was like a new Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh Uh-huh. It felt like made sort of on the heat of Who Framed Roger Abbott for the classic cartoons. It was
1: 1992.
0: All right. In the era of Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, Mm -hmm. Invasion of the Bunny Snatchers was like a throwback.
1: It's pretty cute. It's got Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam, Daffy Duck and Bugs is going around to do his hijinks with all of them, and they're all offering him these weird carrots.
0: It was a throwback, but it was also really meta. Yeah. And, that like, it was his job to wake up and deal right. with FUD, then get on a Time train. To go to work. Yeah, get on a train and deal with Yosemite Sam, and then... You know, take a bus and go deal with Daffy and repeat it all the next day, but this time they're all a little weird. Right. Swing on one of these strange looking cowards and all your troubles will be put to rest.
1: And damn it, Bugs likes his work and he likes sparring with real people. And, you know, he's seeing that they're not so real and they're trying to feed him these weird carrots and he doesn't eat them and he decides to defeat the doppelgangers so that he can have his. Real guys back.
0: I never realized how lucky I was that so many people wanted to kill me.
1: It's cute. He wants to play with his buddies.
0: We will see Bugs Bunny again in Looney Tunes Back in Action, directed by Joe Dante, featuring a cameo by Kevin McCarthy. Wow. As he walks through a color scene, but he's in black and white, carrying a giant seed pod, and if you check the credits, he's Dr. Bunnell.
1: That's adorable. You have an encyclopedic knowledge that is truly
0: I'd spent intimidating. The, thank thank you. I spent the afternoon with IMDB. <laughs> just looking up all these things. We went into this with just a a listener recommendation, going, "Yeah, those are good movies." I really only appreciated the first film and just kind of gave the others a pass. I'm super glad I watched the '78 version. Oh, in addition, I will be
1: showing that to other people. I think it's so good. Yeah,
0: you have positively had to make room in your heart.
1: Yeah, just when you think your heart can't grow anymore, along comes the 1978 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
0: So, good people at home, if you want to uh, check out any of the versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I still love the original black and white 1956 Kevin McCarthy.
1: Fantastic.
0: Above all the others, I think the story fits best into the 1950s, but put it in the 1970s, and it's very effective still.
1: This is not something I think I would say about many, if any, properties. I feel like I wouldn't be mad if I knew it was going to be done really well to see a remake uh, now.
0: It's the two,
1: it's, the two thousand seven version. It, it's it been just nearly didn't, a decade. It didn't gel. It didn't quite work for me. But they did attempt to incorporate newer technology. Cell her son sending email. her videos. Yeah, absolutely. But if someone were to be able to do it really skillfully, but not too slickly, I guess. So many horror films these days, in general.
0: I think they they keep trying to up the ante right. with these with 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 every new invasion movie.
1: Yeah.
0: And maybe they just need to be you know now it's an army base, now it's the government. Right. Maybe they need to go back go back to the small town.
1: Yeah. Take it back to basics. Or, but we've still got the or, technology or we have keep today. Or a
0: more personal story. Yeah. Without trying to Be like, now it's on the moon!
1: Yeah, I think rather than starting from the place of bells and whistles, you really get the characters, good casting, good story, and then figure out how that fits into today's world. Yeah. Versus engineering it the other way. But I wouldn't mind if it were done well. I think I'd like to see what a really competent person could do with a new version.
0: Well, when this competent person hypothetically does a new Mm -hmm. version, I think they should really remember to remind the audience what it is they're fighting for, what it is they're staying awake for, why they're running as fast as they are with scenes like the stir-fry scene Yeah. in the 78 version. I think they
1: tried a little too hard like in the 2007 version. I know they were trying for a mother's love. I think that was a huge part of it. She's searching for her son. I'm not leaving without my son. When the guy clocks the kid, knocks him in the head in the elevator, and she... She hits the guy back, and then the elevator doors close. She gives this like primal scream. I can, I feel, but I feel like I can see the gears turning there, where they're. It almost feels like they're like trying to the telegraph gears. it. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, like they're working too hard to show us that instead of just to prove the point about people it.
0: being animals that the Russian made earlier.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, give us those real relationships though. Make us feel it. Cause I, I'll be honest, I teared up a little in the seventy eight version, when she. Just collapsed in his arms. And he's
0: still telling her about the boat.
1: I mean, I'm dead. Yeah. Just heart-wrenching. That's what I want. I want that. I mean, I don't want people to die, but... You, yeah, I do.
0: Kat just wants to feel something.
1: I, want to, I just want to feel something.
0: All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this journey.
1: I want to quickly... Hmm just give a shout out to a couple of really listeners who have been really engaged and reaching out lately, which are buddy Forbes and Kelly Marie Oakler. Um, they just been on my mind this month, just cool cats who've reached out to us and messaged and, or tweeted at us and that I think are cool.
0: And thank you listener Jorge for letting us know. This is an episode we should look into.
1: literally changing my life. I feel like a happier, better, more fulfilled person having watched all these movies and read this book.
0: I'm just glad to have a good 50th episode. Cat will never be the same. Nope. All right, folks, if you want to reach us with suggestions or just drop us a nice line. Tell us how you found the podcast and something about yourself. Yeah. Uh, You can do so at boysandghouls at gmail.com or just find us through Facebook or just enjoy us. And our social media presence. You
1: can just Google Boys and Ghouls Podcast and all our stuff pops up. Twitter,
0: Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. Those are the biggies. Yeah. So can't wait to hear from you. And until we do...
1: Beware the moon.
0: Beware. Beware. Beware.